Well, good morning, uh, friends. Uh, so good to be with you this morning. So good to see you. Good to be seen. Um, thank you, Brad and team. It was an awesome set of songs this morning. Just uh, loved it. Our hearts disconnected so much. And I just want to say appreciate the hard work of uh, the team that's been organizing this. Everything is so clean. It's spick and span and uh, safe here. Thank you, team, for doing such a great job. We're concerned for everyone that as you come, you would have the best experience. And uh, we trust that you are well, whether here or whether at home or watching online. As you know, we have embarked on this uh, sermon series uh, this summer that we've identified as ancient testimonies. Uh, you know, we don't live our lives in isolation. Uh, there are stories all around us that need to be told. And there are biblical stories that need to be told. Because packed inside of biblical stories uh, is this suitcase of, uh, of ancient stories, but they come with an application kit, learning how to apply the lessons of old to the 21st century. And the stories are rich. They're very human. And uh, we see how they're our kind of stories. Well, we've talked about uh, John, the writer of the book of Revelation, Last week, Adam spoke about Moses. And you know, actually, when I first looked at the schedule, Adam, I thought for just a second that you were preaching on Adam. And I thought, well, wouldn't that be cool? Maybe he still will. Uh, there are no Norbs in the Bible. There are no Quins in the Bible. And there are no Kens in the Bible. But there is there's an Adam in the Bible. So no pressure. Uh, just a thought. Well, this morning our character is uh, Noah. Uh, I have no idea when I last preached on Noah. I didn't even try to check back and find out, have I ever preached on him before? And I know I must have 25 years ago or so, but it's been so long. And uh, my heart has just been so full to reread the biblical story of Noah. Now, uh, I was trying to think of a, of a title for the sermon and there are plenty of good options out there. I thought, don't miss the boat. That would be, that'd be a good sermon title. Or how about stay fit? When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something big. <laughs> but I thought that's too long. <laughs> and, uh, or maybe plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. But I just called it, get in the boat. You know, and I think I was hearing the Ikea commercial in my, in my head. Get in the car. Remember that one? Well, when I think of Noah, I think of camp. And I think of some very special times being camp pastor. And we would get the kids to sing first thing in the morning, rise and shine and give God the glory. Do you know that song? Yeah, uh, there's going to be a floody, floody. The Lord said to Noah. So Noah, he built him. He built him an arky, arky. Uh, and he made it out of hickory, barky, barky. Do you know that song? Yeah, okay, I thought I was maybe uh, dating myself here, but I'm not. Uh, but we need the campers uh, to be up front to uh, do justice to this one. You remember the story of Noah. Because of the state of the world and the sin of everyone who lived on the earth, God decided to send a flood. And he chose Noah and called him and favored him because he was a good man. He and his family alone 
were those who walked with the Lord. And the Lord said, you know the story, build an ark. And Noah did that. And I like this little detail. And the Lord closed the door on the ark and the rains began to fall. And the rains came for 40 days and 40 nights and that homemade ark floated and protected the animals and people on board. And after the water subsided, God made a covenant with a rainbow that he would never again destroy the earth. Well, let's just draw some circles around this man called Noah. I'm just going to draw three this morning. Who is he? Why was he such an important uh, person in biblical history? Well, first of all, Noah found favor in God's eyes. And the scene opens with the lament of God for the world he had created. I mean, you always want to, you want things to go well when you start a new project. Ever started a new business? And you were so pumped with excitement for the possibilities that you could see in front of you. This is going to be beautiful. This is the dream of my heart. And then, lo and behold, something changes the picture. Sickness, internal conflict, staff dissension in your organization, lack of capital, a devastating four months without income due to a strange virus that's hard to grab onto and bury. This will not go away. And it keeps raising its ugly head and impacting your, uh, your hopes of financial stability and prosperity. God had a dream too. He had a dream for a beautiful earth where, where people would walk together in harmony and peace and it was his beautiful new creation called earth. And God determined that he would create humans who had the awesome power of choice. That he would not create robots, but that he would give people choice and that they would truly choose to love him and relate to him. And humanity went off the rails almost immediately. In Genesis 6-5, we hear the perspective, the cry of a sovereign God. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. There you have a look at, uh, yeah, the heart of God the perspective of God. I mean, there are other places in the Bible where you see the heart of God on display. Well, isn't this one so bold and explicit? So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. I mean, it broke his heart. What breaks the heart of God? Uh, I think, I was thinking this week, it's, it's easy to not deeply consider the pain of our father or our mother as we grew up in our homes and before we left the nest. Many of us would want to go back and, and correct a few things and say, Dad, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just so preoccupied with self that I didn't realize what you were feeling. It was just me. 
And, and mom, I'm sorry for my words to you. I wish I could bring them back. I know it hurts your heart. We are reminiscent of Matthew's gospel. Do you remember when Jesus wept over Jerusalem? Thousands of years after the life of Noah, here was the pain of Jesus as he looked over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you'll never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, say it no simpler than this, that our life of sin hurts the heart of God. It breaks his heart. Like in Noah's day, it broke his heart. We are only six chapters into this book called the Bible, and God is calling for a do-over. I'm sorry I ever made them. Jill Briscoe, uh, she and her husband, Stuart, pastored a church in Milwaukee for many years. They're now up in their mid-80s. I think they're both still living, and uh, they've had a tremendous ministry. Uh, she's a writer. Well, both of them are writers, and uh, she, I, I read uh, her comments. She said, I was interested uh, uh, in what breaks the heart of God, and one summer, Stuart and I had a ministry experience that took us literally around the world, and I learned many significant lessons, and this is what she said. I understand a little better why my father's world broke my father's heart. She said, I met with young prisoners in Taiwan. I stood in the killing fields of Cambodia. I heard a bomb blast too close at hand in Croatia. And I watched SWAT teams in Northern Ireland. So on this tour around the world that broke my father's heart, I met my father's family, and they were widows, and they were orphans, and they were soldiers, and they were missionaries raising kids in houses where they catch 20 big rats a week. And they were refugees, and they were the poorest of the poor, and they were displaced people, and they were squatter dwellers, and this was God's forever family, and they were hurting. What God saw in Genesis chapter 6 broke his heart. Always nice in the midst of darkness to find a little word that's, that's got some light in it. And verse 8 brings a ray of sunshine. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Situation in that day was so bad that our Creator, our Father, was absolutely heartbroken at what had happened to His people and the people He had made. And Jesus Himself made reference to the severity of wickedness in that day. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day, Jesus said. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So in the midst of a very dark and murky generation, there is one man and his family who are different. And they stand out. They stand out in their community, sometimes in a very strange way because of God's call upon their lives to be different. Their hearts are for God. They're trying to figure out how to be God's servants 
in a broken and very sin-impacted world. But God's favor was upon them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Our family did a bit of a memory uh, tour just a month ago. Uh, we took our family, loaded them all up, uh, including the grandkids, and, and we went to the places where Marg and I grew up. Marg and uh, my wife in uh, southern Alberta and myself in central Alberta grew up on farms. And we took them back to our, to our farms, to our homesteads. Um, and we explained um, how we went to school. Uh, we rode a horse to school. Uh, almost all of the students came to school on horses. Uh, now, nowadays, kids would say, wow, that's the greatest, that's the coolest thing in the world to be able to go to school on a horse. Uh, uh, we kind of rode it because we had to. Our parents said, that's, that's the way you get to school. We didn't realize how wonderful we had it. And in our remembrance tour, we went to two cemeteries where our parents and grandparents and neighborhood friends are buried. And it was so interesting to see the little one-sentence uh, engravements on the tombstones that kind of described that person's life. My grandfather and my grandmother are buried here. I'm not sure. Yeah, they're buried here. And uh, they came from England as 20-year-olds. And now when I think back to 20-year-olds, born in London, came to Canada to homestead, knew absolutely nothing about farming, but there they were, and they settled in to farm. But Grandpa um, had a heart for God. And he started a, a little church in the community, a little Sunday school, and he invited all the neighbors to come. Some came. So people would have a place to worship. They tried to make a difference in their community, and they did. Now those graves need a little bit of cleaning up. I realize that because I haven't seen them for so long. But he leaves a legacy of walking with God, which impacted the next generation. And can you think of a better tag on your tombstone? His name was Jim, James. Jim found favor with the Lord. Bessie found favor with the Lord. Bessie was my grandma that I'd never met. Noah found favor with the Lord. You know, I was thinking, maybe it's like teaching a large class of students, and everybody's unruly, no one's paying attention, everyone's just talking and talking and talking, but back in the corner, there is a... A, a young boy, a young girl who is all ears for what the teacher is saying. And they don't, they don't want you to stop talking because they're getting it. They're drinking it in. They are the reasons teachers teach. And they get it. And they're with you. And they understand what you're saying. And they're totally on board. Remember, you probably have somebody like that in your life. And if you stop to think about it, they're watching you. They're watching how you do this. They wa they're watching how you go through your tough times. The next verse says, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person walking on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Isn't that awesome? To find favor with God is to know who he is and to identify with, with him in what he's saying and what he's teaching and where he's leading. 
It is to acknowledge that you love this one who's teaching you and walking with you and you love what he wants to do in your life and you're willing to say to him, Lord, shape me, mold me, make me into the person you want me to be. That brings the favor of God. And I can't help but help. I asked this morning, does your posture before God result in the favor of God in your life? Does your heart invite God to say, I see the teachability and the humility of this child, of this teenager, of this young man or woman, of this seasoned man or woman, and I choose to bless them and bless them and use them. The fabric of Christian values, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the identity of people who live in our day who say yes to Christ, Friends, is precious, precious glue that holds our confused world together these days. What could be more of a blessing to our Father than for us to walk in close fellowship with Him? Favored child of God, don't forget how very valuable you are in our world today. You are needed. And you are valued more than you can know. And God looks to you to be his agent of peace and love and unity in this chaotic world. And the church of Jesus Christ plays a vital role in keeping this old world from tipping over. Yes, my friend, it's really hard to calculate the impact of your life as you walk with God in this world. And as things continue to unfold, friends, and as the days will grow darker, God will bless you and use you in this world. Your light will shine brightly in a dark world. But Noah, but George, but James, but Bessie, but Ryan, but Andrea found favor with the Lord. Second circle, Noah was available. People who find favor with God often receive some major assignments. Noah was 600 years old when he got a work order on his desk that would have blown his mind had he not been walking with the Lord. Now, God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And friends, the next verses describe the details of how the ark should be built. Did you catch that when Colin was reading it? 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I was trying to get a picture in my mind uh, of the size of that ark. I discovered that the largest warship in the world is the Nimitz-class carrier. It's 1,092 feet in length. It's 23 stories tall. Now, you can't appreciate how big that ship is there. It's 23 stories tall. It has a flight deck area covering 4.5 acres. The Nimitz-class carrier is a floating city. And the United States Navy has 10 of those massive carriers active in its fleet. They're massive. 
But on the other hand, I was impressed that way back in the days of Noah, they had the capability of building a boat that is about half the size in length of the largest warship today. And I think we'd have to say, not bad, not bad. In fact, incredible. And, and, you can't, and, and, and can't you imagine the people watching a, a ship of this magnitude being built? They couldn't imagine. And being built, no doubt, in a, in a desert area, 450 feet long. It was the craziest thing. A conservative, peace-loving man and his family, and they're building this massive boat out here. What in the world is this? question is, Noah, what will you do with this crazy assignment? Here it is. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Wow. Now, you've got to know that Noah must have been overwhelmed by this assignment. We don't read about it. Uh, in fact, we have no hint of it in Scripture. But how could he not have? Do you think he'd even seen a small boat before? Well, I... I guess I'm thinking personally, I would have been totally overwhelmed. Now, Pastor Adam, he might have thought, what a great challenge. What do you have in your hand? A framing hammer. But uh, I think uh, I, I would be absolutely bewildered. First, he was up against an engineering feat that probably was unsurpassed in his time. I mean, how do you build something that's 45 feet high and not kill yourself doing it? How do you make sure that this thing is structurally sound so it can survive 40 days and 40 nights in turbulent water and then what, another 150 days as the waters receded? That's a long time out there. That boat better be, be, be built well. I have just enough questions about this ark that, uh, and its complexity that and the complexity of having animals dwell together in harmony on one or two or three of these decks. And I don't know, after, uh, after five months, it would be a pretty hard place to be. And we don't have answers to all the questions and not ours to try to figure out. But we have a powerful God. And we have an obedient servant. And with that, you can change the world. When you have a powerful God and an obedient servant, you can change the world. Noah says, yes, Lord, I can do that. I can do that. Remember when Moses got his big challenge? We heard about it last week. He sputtered and hemmed and hawed for a long time before he, he, he got the confidence to take the assignment. And he worked out a deal so that Aaron could be with him. That was Moses. But listen to this. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. I can almost guarantee it. If you walk in close fellowship with God, the Lord will give you an assignment. Small or big or graduated along the way. Uh, he, he, Mo, Noah was not only up against a, a challenging engineering feat. He was up against the opposition of the crowd. I mean, how challenging can it be to represent Jesus Christ in your arena? in your firm, in your organization, in your business, in your place of employment. Uh, it may be very hard where you work. I can't imagine how challenging it was for Noah to stand against the tide of verbal assault, maybe violence, certainly mockery because he heard God and because he obeyed. 
I watched some of the Noah movies in preparation for this sermon, including Evan Almighty. <laughs> That's funny. The days in which Noah lived were notorious. We think we live in challenging days. Oh, think about Noah. We just covered that beatitude uh, a few weeks ago that says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right because you follow Jesus. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all kinds of evil things against you. And Jesus says, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, they also persecuted the ancient prophets. Availability, are you? Another word for availability is simply obedience. Can you trust him for the strength and power in your life? Friend, he wouldn't have asked you if he knew it just couldn't happen. He asked you because he knew it could happen and he could use you. So first circle, a man who found favor with God. Second circle, a man who was available, obedient. And thirdly, a man who worshipped. A man who worshipped. It's wonderful to see people come through hard times and still worship. Your heart for God and your mission for his work may be costly. It will cost you time and energy and resources and much more. But at the end of the day, what is significant is that you're still following close to the heart of God. And you can say at the end of the day, it was worth it all. There's an old hymn, some of you will know it. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. Life's trials will seem so small when we see, we see him. One glimpse of his dear, dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Noah was 601 years old when the ark landed on dry ground. What did they do? They got out of the boat. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night. And that's the promise of God. Noah built an altar to the Lord. You know, Noah's a builder. Noah's a builder. He, he built an ark, and then he built an altar. When what, God, what God calls us to in this life will vary differently from all of us that are here and watching online. We're all, we've all got different assignments. Some of you are building the kingdom uh, in one way by dedicating your business to the Lord. Some of you are in sales. But you understand, they always have, that it's far more than selling a product. It's about influencing and impacting people and sharing the love of God through all the networks that he's given you. Some of you are teaching, and you influence students every day. They watch you as you model God's truth. We're all building our arcs, our places of ministry. 
But what we all also have in common is that we're all building an altar to the Lord. What does it mean to build an altar? It means that we have a personal encounter with God. We've seen him at work in our lives. We've, we've, uh, we've stopped and we've, we've built an altar because we've experienced the goodness of God. In the Old Testament, it was often physical. It was a, maybe a combination of rocks set in a certain way. But it doesn't really matter if we make a physical altar or we just build it inside of our hearts. Altars mean a place of encounter with God. Maybe a place of forgiveness. And you've come to a place where this difficult tension is finally resolved and, and you build an altar to say, thank you, God, for the peace that you brought in my life. Maybe you can look back at a turning point in your life and you and God had an encounter. Uh, you did some serious business with God and it's changed your life. Well, Noah had an experience with God that was so unique and after it was all finished, he built an altar. C.S. Lewis said as much when he stated that there are only two kinds of people uh, in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done and those to whom God says, okay, have it your own way. So today, uh, Noah's our man. He's our model. He wasn't perfect by any means. Did he even realize that God was going to use him in such a powerful way? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think he was probably overwhelmed by, by all of this, uh, what God was doing in, in his day. But when push came to shove, this man was ready to be used of God. He was already walking with God, so, so that, that brought the favor of God. And he was available, so that allowed God to use him on assignment. And he was a worshiper, which indicated that after all is said and done, his heart still belonged to the Lord. He was still totally all in after the wildest ministry rides you can ever imagine. He was still in. He's still there. Friends, uh, pay attention to the day in which we're living. Jesus said for us to watch for the signs of the time. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be. Jesus said, that's the way it will be. It'll just be kind of life as normal when the Son of Man comes. Jesus said, keep watch, for you don't know what day the Lord is coming. And maybe along with watching these days, you can step into the shoes of Noah and just build an ark of safety and refuge for all the desperate people who live around you. And there are plenty. And when they understand their own need, as God brings them to that, and, and, and they see what you're building in your life, and wow, it makes sense. You can help them into the ark of safety and rescue. So three questions, and, and I'm finished. Number one, as you examine your journey before the Lord, would the Lord be pleased to say to you, I see your heart, and I know your heart is to honor me. Would he say to you, I see your heart, and I see that your heart is to honor me. 
Secondly, as you observe your own journey, are you available to say, Lord, what do you need? I'm here. I'm available. I don't pretend to pretend to have all the skills, but whatever you need, Lord, whatever I can do to build the ark of safety and rescue, Lord, count, you can count on me. Thirdly, are you at the end of the day a person who stops to worship and say, this is what I was meant for. I was meant to worship you. And I give you the praise and the glory of my life. This is what I was meant to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Noah of long ago. The centuries have come and gone, but his legacy lives on. May it be true in our own lives as well that you find us faithful to walk by faith, having your courage and your strength for the day in which we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.